Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app from Spotify to iTunes, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me, as always, is our Tech Central editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson, and uh, Facebook kind of making the headlines this week. It's their turn, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> their turn. When are, when are they not in the news whenever something goes <laughs> When are wrong? any of them not in the news? But uh, Facebook earlier in the year had uh, caused a lot of waves by kind of saying, well, we're starting our own, our own currency. If Apple can start their own credit card, we can start our own currency. Yeah, they, they've got big plans, or rather, uh, I think it was back in May we talked about this. This is Libra, uh, Facebook's digital currency. And... Um, when it came out, yeah, for Facebook to say we we're putting together our own currency, you'd be like, so what? But they've got uh, uh, their sort of Calibra Association Foundation, whatever, which was twenty eight companies that are li- have lined up to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna back it, um, and the likes of you know Stripe, um, PayPal. Uh, MasterCard, I think these are in there as well, like a lot of heavy hitters. So hmm. if you're in e-commerce, telecoms, tech, um, transactions, anything like that, you have an interest. And what's slightly different about Libra was that it wasn't just a, another cryptocurrency, right? Now, it does borrow an awful lot from um, sort of Bitcoin and that it uses sort of a, a blockchain, but it's based on a model called a stable currency. So as whereas Bitcoin is based on whatever the community says it's worth, with a stable coin, it's actually tied to uh, a bunch of assets uh, where you get to say, this is this is what the currency is worth. And you, you sort of work off it. I think they called it an asset basket. So in the same way that a lot of currencies are based on gold, um, Libra is going to be based on this asset basket. And uh, initially you would buy into it um, the same way, like kind of like a foreign transaction, I suppose. And away you go. Enter the marketplace of Facebook. Um, okay, pros and cons, Dusty. Are you, What do you think would be a nice pro of this? Well, actually, when I heard about it first, I thought it was in some ways a sensible idea because I had a lot of major bankers behind it. So, you know, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Stripe, a lot of people like that. And that kind of gave me the confidence that maybe there's something in this. Whether I would use it or not, it struck me as kind of being that that would be the currency like you would use dollars if you go to the States uh, or, well, I suppose Australian dollars if you go to Australia, whatever. Um, or if you use sterling, if you go to the UK, uh, if you want to do financial transactions on Facebook, you would use Libra. So... But- <laughs> I don't that know. makes perfect sense. It, may, it makes perfect sense, but it was kind of like, is there really a need for it? Because, you know, if I need to do financial transactions on Facebook right now, I just use my credit card. Yep. Yeah, so I didn't really see the advantage, but I just thought it was interesting. But I do know that they've been getting a lot of grief uh, from the EU. They've been getting a lot of grief from the uh, Americans as well, because naturally... I think governments are kind of going, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Nobody sets up currencies, only governments. 
Yeah, well, that's the that's the problem. One of the problems Libra has had is uh, effectively no country is going to allow a new currency to trade there unless there's some sort of regulation behind it. Now, this is one of the, the selling points of cryptocurrencies is that they're not tied to any central regulator. You know, there's, there's nobody in Ireland can say, sorry, um, Bitcoin, you're actually worth this or let's start tracking transactions. The whole point is that, you know, it's anonymous, it's community based, it's deregulated it's distributed if you have a stable coin that's not true it's actually got to be passed by every regulator in every market that you want to deal with uh, and all it takes is for one or two countries to stand up and say do you know what we're not convinced mm-hmm. or uh, no outright you're not going to use this currency in our country and france and germany have already stood up and said look we're not we're not happy with this idea um i think in the states there is skepticism which is unusual for a, a country that's so interested in in open markets um and and uh um, such a uh, uh, you know they like their capitalism in America I'll put it that way yes um, but I, th- I, I think you see you've just said the one key word that all governments everywhere detest unless it's themselves that they're trying to keep quiet and uh, that word is anonymous they so, don't yeah. like people being able to do things anonymously yeah, and there, there are reasons for that, primarily from a law enforcement perspective. Uh, if you're involved in money laundering or if you need a paper trail to track mm-hmm. somebody, uh, which is how an awful lot of uh, criminals got found out, Al Capone wasn't done for murder, he was done for tax evasion. Exactly. You know, that's the... That's the um, the uh, I guess the example that comes up every so often, uh, quite rightly so, because it's accurate. But the uh, <laughs> true. But the but the news this week, as well as getting grief from the EU and from the states and indeed other countries as well about Libra, um, they had twenty eight really top notch backers behind this currency, and one of them has pulled out. Yeah, and, and this is a big blow because it's not a, it's not an NGO, it's not a, you know, a fringe player or a brand that consumers wouldn't be familiar with. It's PayPal have decided that it's it's not for them. Uh, now, whatever triggered this decision is unknown. Um, maybe it was to do with the the slow progress with regulators, but PayPal, their official line is we want to focus on our own products. That we're that we're happy with, so we're going to go in that direction. Mm. Uh, we're not going to stick with um, with Libra. Uh, I mean, how how much of a, a a drain would researching or contributing Libra be to a company like PayPal? I'm guessing that there's there's something I don't want to say hinky, but there's something about the project that is fundamentally flawed mm. that has made one of the biggest payments processors on the planet balk at it. Well, you see, when I'm uh, the, the rumors that I'm hearing is that the uh, the two biggest uh, credit card providers, Mastercard and Visa, are also considering following PayPal. I think PayPal is just the first one to go. I think there are more to go after that, and I think if that does happen, well, then it, it won't be a blockchain; <laughs> it'll be a disaster chain for, uh, yeah, for Facebook yeah. and uh, and Libra. It, it, it just takes one big player to start bringing the house of cards down. And I think PayPal is certainly, certainly qualifies as that. Um, and, you know, look at what Facebook would gain by having uh, its own currency. I mean, it means that you would never have to leave Facebook for any sort of transaction uh, and you would have a, a stable point of currency uh, conversion, which would be great uh, versus every other payments processor 
who are probably going, you know, why why would we let another middleman uh, come in and take what potentially could be a greater commission for us? Yeah, precisely. I, I, I just don't see how it's adding anything to my life or the life of Facebook users. I'm sure they'll come up with lots of reasons, but I just can't see it at the moment. Uh, and I think the credit card solution we have at the moment is, is quite good. And really, the only reason Libra is there is to benefit Facebook. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Listen, uh, the other big brand, if you like, uh, making the news this week is Twitter. They've been a little bit naughty. Well, it's not that they've been naughty. It's that, you know, in, in, in following the grand treatment of such things, they've been quite useless. Um, for those who don't already know, Twitter suffered uh, a fairly hefty security breach last month uh, in which the uh, phone numbers, email addresses of users across the world, um, exact quantity unknown at this stage, uh, exact quantity and location unknown, uh, so, yeah, emails uh, and phone numbers provided by users to make their accounts more uh, secure. And to, uh, I imagine, an awful lot of these people have also ticked the please do not contact me for mm. any marketing purposes buttons. Uh, well, guess what? You might be getting uh, some sort of text message or some sort of email. Maybe it's gone straight to your spam filter and you haven't noticed, but your email address could well be floating around there in the... Uh, in the um, in the ether there somewhere, you never know. In the I, ether. I, I just think it's funny the way the, the way the world is going because everything was kind of... Plowing along okay, and everybody had their passwords and their password problems, and da 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 da. Uh, and now they've brought in this um, two factor uh, authentication, and they've brought in you must accept cookies on every website. Uh, I think it's just making the web to be an absolute pain in the rear end place to, oh, to be. Oh, no, two, two factor, two factor me up there. Uh, I am very happy with two, two factor authentication. Um, yes, yes, but on everything, it's starting to creep into everything now. And it's like, oh, well, my so. God. I, this is the general data protection regulation. Absolutely. Uh, mm. I want the ability to say no thank you to cookies. I want uh, two-factor to become a, uh, a de facto standard. But most importantly, I want companies to actually come out and say, yeah, we had a breach as soon as it's detected. Because you remember what happened uh, pre-GDPR in the States with companies like Yahoo. They sit on these things for months mm -hmm. until it's reported in the press and then they come out and they say, oh yeah, that happened. Um, now, Twitter has its uh, European headquarters in Ireland, which means that it's it's subject to um, subject to GDPR anyway. But I mean, it comes under uh, our own Office of the Data Protection uh, Regulator to be uh, enforced and investigated. Um, I contacted the, the DPO and they said that they are engaging with uh, Twitter at the moment um, and, and wouldn't really elaborate beyond that. But apparently the company said that they discovered the uh, problem uh, 21 days ago. 21 days ago. And it's only coming to light now. You have 72 hours from the point of a breach to notify the Office of the Data Protection Commissioner. That's under GDPR. That's not us in Ireland saying mm. it. That's GDPR. I just, I just think the whole thing is terribly sad because it's, it's just demonstrating that we don't live in a perfect world. Well, duh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to live in a perfect world. Wouldn't that be so nice? <laughs> It'd be very boring, Dusty. What would we complain about on the podcast? <laughs> there you go. Come on, Niall. Thanks for keeping us up to date on all the news this week. 
This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. Between last week's Extinction Rebellion protest and the increase in the carbon tax announced in the budget this week, we are more aware than ever of our role in stopping climate change. But what exactly would a low-carbon world look like at street level. Dr. Yvonne Farrell, director of the award-winning Grafton Architects, sat down with Niall Kitson at the recent Live Electric conference at the Mansion House in Dublin to tell us about her agency's approach to design. One of the central ideas you talked about today was the idea of the Earth as a client. Now, our listeners will be very used to the, the idea of putting the user at the centre of the website experience, putting the patient at the centre of the, the healthcare experience. So when you're looking Looking at this sort of level of pushing the earth at the centre of the experience, what do you mean by that? Grafton Architects, our discussion is really uh, saying that yes, you have a client who wants a project, yes, you have users who will use the building, but beyond beyond that and uh, encompassing all of that is that we build buildings on this earth, that the earth is a, a, a fragile entity, let us say, and that in the end, how we use resources, the materials we decide to use in the building, how you maintain it, how you heat it, how you cool it, all those things are long term, so that effectively we're actually building into the earth's core. Or, well, not literally, but on on this fragile. We're doing a, a project with uh, with uh, some of our students at the moment, and we've called it uh, below, uh, on, above, part of, because those prepositions are really describing how you anchor a building into the ground, how you make a space on the ground, how you protect yourself either from sun or from rain, and how things change over time. So the earth, when we say the earth as client, it's really a shorthand to say everything connects with everything else, resources, maintenance, pleasure, the beauty of a rising sun or a setting sun, all those things are intertwined. So we have to be wider than just, you need something, I can do it for you. As architects, we can build you something. The agenda is really the professional responsibility to be uh, at, at a global level. You talk about your work using very elemental language there. Um, I know one of the projects that you're working at at the moment is the new library in Parnell Street in the the new cultural quarter, uh, where you've talked about light washing over everything as as it comes in. To what extent does the use of materials and the use of, say, available sunlight and available conditions inform your designs? For, for us in Grafton Architects, light is one of the most important free gifts, if you like, of, of the earth. And that every place on the earth has its own particular quality of light. And zenithal light, light from above, is really very beautiful. Also, it's very intense that you can have a, a much smaller opening in the, to the sky and will give you the same kind of... Uh, uh, um, amount of light as a much larger uh, window on the vertical because of the sky factor. But also it's very pleasurable. So for us in the Parnell Library, what what this this comes from, if you like, interpreting the Georgian. The Georgian, that whole area of Parnell Square was really a pleasure garden. And when we were um, looking at the, the, the need for the library, the need for uh, um, uh, modifying uh, the 18th century houses, but also providing a new, a new 21st century library, we uh, 
we took the, the ability of 21st century structure to hold gardens high in the sky in the same way as Georgians had gardens raised on man-made land that we would have light coming in between the cracks between these two structural or these uh, number of structural uh, elements which are both are both structural and circulation they're holding fantastic rooms high up in the sky and between those are cracks of light which allow uh, special uh, daylight to come uh, to animate the space below so when you enter you pass the 18th century buildings you move into a space which has a zenithal light which is being modified uh, all through the day and the pleasure of daylight I mean all through the work um, of this project is really uh, encouraging people to enjoy the, the, the ordinary things of life which are good daylight uh, the wind, uh, nature, going back to the issue of the earth as client, the earth is a very pleasurable place. We now know our resources have to be, if you like, uh, consciously used uh, for the protection of, uh, of uh, uh, or for the reaction to climate change. But in the Parnell project, it's really that we open up a space for the, uh, for the reader, for the child, for the visitor that brings beautiful light into the interior of a city block. Similarly, when we talk about architecture and very much sort of at the high end, people have this uh, opinion that it's outlandish buildings sitting in very ordinary spaces drawing attention to themselves. That's not something you sought to uh, accomplish with the ESB project. No, uh, I don't. Um, architecture can be quite subtle. It doesn't have to stand on its head uh, to, to make a statement. Architecture... architecture for us, for the ESB uh, project, uh, working together with O'Mahony Pike, the, 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 the sense of the street, the fact that we're on one of the longest Georgian streets in the world, that for us to reinstate the streetscape, that the vertical surface, the four-story sur- uh, surface to the street was the first thing, that a number of entrances was something that was really important in the Georgian way. Like one of the things when, when the 16 houses vanished in the 1960s, uh, people kind of instinctively uh, lost that kind of rhythm. When you're passing Georgian houses between 8 and 10 and 7 and a half metres, there's a rhythm of the doorway, the steps, then there's the windows, the rhythm of the doorway, the steps. It's a type of, it's like a, a piece of Bach. You're actually walking past a rhythm. And for many people, that rhythm was lost. And with the previous building that's now gone uh, by uh, uh, Sam Stevenson, that had one entrance. And one of the main kind of critiques of that building, which wasn't a bad building at all, was that it only had one entrance and that the areas were gone. What is really, what we hope will be a real pleasure for the citizens of Dublin working with ESB is that we have reinstated a number of entrances. We've made a new uh, pedestrian walkway through. We've made the areas in front and we've woven landscape into the into the into the into the story so the uh, the ESB hopefully will have uh, their new headquarters but also they'll have given something back to the to to the city so that there's an element of pleasure both in terms of the beautiful brick that's uh, uh, you know took a long time to find and to choose it's uh, uh, so there's landscape there's uh, high quality brick um, and high quality workmanship in the in the building and when you're talking about sort of the story of a place or the natural rhythm of a place and it does lend that sort of feeling of architecture as being sort of a cultural product so what other project projects did you work on where where you went okay here's something natural to this environment or natural to this part of the world let's build upon it 
We're just finishing a project in Toulouse in France uh, at the moment and uh, when we were doing a competition for that we were really intrigued. Toulouse is, is called the, the, the Vieux Rose, the, 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 the red city. It has these beautiful, beautiful bricks. So we felt that it was very important in our competition entry, which won, uh, that we would use natural brick and we found close to Toulouse a factory that still made the bricks in the same way as it would have been done in medieval times. And in uh, French tradition at the moment, in building construction methods at the moment, they use these plaquettes, which are like brick tiles, which are not the same as a, as a real brick, having its own, um, uh, if you like, sense of weight and uh, craft. So we hope that someday you're going to have a look at this building, which will be open fairly soon. But what we feel that it has achieved, it has it, you feel the craft of that area, you feel the history of it, as well as being a contemporary building, there's this duality. The architecture has one foot in the past, but also is a, is a contemporary uh, expression of culture and also lives on to the future. One of the things that we, we've sort of bounced back and forth on so far is the is materials, their availability. You mentioned the red brick was very hard to, to source for the Fitzwilliam Street project. To what extent is the availability of materials becoming a problem? Um, I don't know whether it's, it's, uh, it's becoming a problem. I do think that within the architectural world and other worlds that you're really looking at uh, the accountability of each, of each material now. You're, uh, we're doing a project with students where we're, we're reducing the, the, the three materials to be uh, water, glass and, and wood. And we're, uh, as I said earlier on, that glass is you know, made of sand and sand is a, becoming more and more as a precious commodity. Sand is used in concrete as well. We're, we're really looking, I suppose we're at a stage now where we're actually trying to audit in our own minds the kind of uh, uh, responsible choosing of materials so that it actually becomes not a kind of a moral imperative but it becomes something on um, it, when you're when there's a discussion about what materials might be in a building, you you are trying to edit out ones that are uh, that have been proven dangerous. When you think of historically, people would have used uh, the um, asbestos unknowingly, and then you realise that that is a that is a health issue. People don't use materials, you know. Um, knowingly and that, that caused damage but I think when we make the audits of buildings now I think all of us within the profession need to try and describe what its source is what its kind of carbon footprint is what we, that we make a, a, a we make choices, informed choices. It's not always easy because, you know, there are decisions that have to be made very quickly and sometimes you, you uh, I'm sure there are lots of buildings around the world that are, the choices could have been better if there was either more time or more information available. And also buildings take a while, like buildings that you see coming up out of the ground. Uh, by the, you know, if you, go, if you retrace your steps in terms of the time to get to that contract, to get to that time, you're, you're actually kind of, maybe it could have been five years, you know, since the, the choices of materials were actually made. So it's, it's a slower, it's like the slow food movement. Uh, making a building is a slow process. There's a lot of people involved, a lot of choices, a lot of uh, uh, planning issues, there's a lot of money involved. So the decisions sometimes can be, you know, years behind where the current thinking is. One of the examples that you used in your presentation of 
kind of an unfortunate development uh, in architecture when it comes to climate change is how New York has involved to make its parts part of a, a buffer uh, against uh, extreme weather. Are you seeing more of this uh, either across Europe or internationally generally that cities are being looked at with a view to dealing with extreme weather events? Yes, and I think what's really, really important is that uh, the point I suppose I was trying to make is that as these extreme weather events are going to happen, that uh, rather than it being an engineering uh, problem that has to have an engineering solution, that that engineering and architecture and uh, um, thinking about the possibility of every project having a cultural component. What's good about that project in Manhattan uh, by Big is that, yes, it deals with, uh, um, if you like, storm surges, but also when that's not happening, it's actually a, a linear series of linear parks. And one of the people that in the 16, that, that exhibition that's on in, in Carlo, in, in, in the exhibition uh, space in Carlo, uh, Close Encounter, one of those is representing uh, Olmsted. And Olmsted was a brilliant uh, North American designer because uh, in his case he was able to take say the city of Buffalo and uh, solve the problem of sewage, water uh, but collecting uh, putting together uh, water grass and trees, he socialized infrastructure, so the point your question, what's interesting about your question is that when we have problems to solve, they have the potential also to have a cultural component and that's really a a plea to to say to, um, to people that when we have a problem with flooding, it's not just a matter of keeping the sea out. There, are, like, say the mango. It's interesting. The mango, when the mango trees uh, were taken away from many, I, my understanding of say the delta in in uh, New Orleans, that mango trees by their nature, uh, if you like, reduce the impact of storms. But when they're taken away because of development. You get uh, you get that buffer removed, and you get places more vulnerable. The same is true in Ireland. That uh, in 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 Irish, the word cluan means kind of flooded meadow, like cluan macnoise, cluan. And when you see that word in in the in the uh, in the name of a place, it should warn you that that's really an area that floods in the winter time and is a meadow in the in the summer. And yet we're building on many of those places and wonder why the if you like the flooding issue is. Pushed further down river or uh, pops his head up in other places you know they you need you need to deal with nature in a in a practical and a thorough thorough way and that was Dr. Vaughan Farrell of Grafton Architects speaking at Live Electric Conference organised by the ESB and the International Energy Agency. That's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all the things we talked about and all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or, of course, listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.